I think one of the things that we always talk about in the art of policing, if you will, is that sometimes context matters. And if I don't give you everything, then you really can't form a full opinion about the subject that you want to know about. The idea behind this podcast is that we try and look at issues that maybe are complex and try and make them understandable, but also give you the whole picture of what's being discussed. This is our opportunity here at the Walton County Sheriff's Office to answer questions about things that matter to our citizens here in Walton County, Florida, but really are bigger than that, about things that happen nationwide. You're listening to The Art of Policing with Walton County Sheriff Mike Atkinson. So today we want to talk about something that I get asked about a lot, really, which is immigration as it relates to local law enforcement. And, you know, I I guess one of the issues here is it's such a politically fraught argument. I mean, you're going to come down, maybe you already have a uh, predisposed position on immigration or illegal immigration or what the wording should be. I mean, we're at a point in this country we can't even agree about what terms we we're using? Right, it's very polarizing. It's, it's such a yeah, exactly, Corey. It's such a polarizing uh, issue that we don't take time to actually understand what the 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 situation is and the nuances of the situation. You know, one of the things that we deal with in law enforcement, local law enforcement or policing, really, is you know you hear one story and we'll talk about a story of. Uh, where something happened. You go, well, what about this other time? Why wasn't it handled this way? Well, the truth is in most of these situations, you change one fact and you change the potential outcome. Or Or the process. Or the process of how things should be handled. So immigration or illegal immigration is one of the biggest hot button issues out there. What I want to do is really just kind of give you an overview of what is going on in immigration and directly how it responds at the local level. So what is... In this case, I'm a sheriff. It's a sheriff's office here in Florida. How it impacts us and what our relationship is with the federal government and the state entities that handle this. And I'm going to try and explain what the responsibilities of the federal government is, as well as local law enforcement. We get asked about it on our public information uh, office. Uh, I get asked about it in public all the time. And people come at it from very different angles, right? Um, There are people that believe that the border should be completely locked down and there should be no one ever crossing the border, right? A fence, an army, and there are people that believe there should be no borders, that everybody should be able to come and go. I think most Americans are are probably in the middle. You you might find that hard to believe listening to to the news, but the reality of it is the, the most people's positions are, is more nuanced than that, right? This is not all encompassing. There, you know, there, there will be people that listen to this and say, "Well, you didn't mention, you know, you didn't mention subsection A of B of C who did Y." Okay, maybe. But I, what I want to give you is an understanding, maybe a little better than you'll have before you listen to. This. So, hopefully, it'll be informative. So let's let's start with what do we know? What are what are the basics? Um, we know that there are about 13 million people in the country today illegally. Uh, I don't know how they came up with that number. That's a number that is frequently used. You'll see it on Department of Homeland Security. You'll see it off-quoted, that number. 
quite frankly, it's interesting because the number has been about the same since the mid-90s. So that, that's a little interesting. So I'm not sure how they come up with it, but that is the number they use. And we'll assume for the, the Department sake, of Homeland Security. Department of Homeland Security uses, let's assume for the sake of this discussion, that that's plus or minus right. So you've got a lot of people in the country who are here illegally. So, you know, this year, as we're recording this, which is 2023 and certainly 2022, we saw some massive increases in uh, illegal entry into the country at the southern border. The vast majority of illegal immigration takes place at the southern border of the United States. Now, let's start with who is primarily charged with dealing with the issue of immigration. It is the Department of Homeland Security. And there's a couple of different departments or a couple of different agencies in there. And the problem is when you hear all these acronyms and names, it gets so confusing about who does what. So I'm going to deal with what's in place now, not what was in place prior to 9-11, not old names. Just today, this is basically who is in charge of immigration or illegal immigration in this country. Department of Homeland Security has a couple of different entities. One is the Border Patrol. Their formal name is actually CB, uh, CBP, Custom and Border Patrol, the enforcement arm. They are on the border. They operate about 100 miles from the United States border. That's really their, their area of operation, anywhere with 100 miles of the United States border. Land-to-land border. Land-to-land border. When someone gets past 100 miles, then it becomes the purview of Immigration and Custom Enforcement, often referred to as ICE. Okay? Those are the two primary enforcement entities. There's a second or a third agency inside of uh, Department of Homeland Security that deals with the judicial processing of people here illegally, determining whether they should stay, go. That's a much smaller entity. That is like a judicial component inside of Homeland Security. But for the sake of this discussion, most of the people that we deal with is Border Patrol or ICE. And again, those are two divisions of the same entity, Homeland Security. And I'm going to ask a question that, yeah, that might be obvious absolutely. for some, but when they come by water, is, is does the same rule apply? Same rules, same rules uh, apply. Border Patrol is Border Patrol, the first exactly. 100 miles exactly. of land. Absolutely. When mm-hmm. they place their foot on U.S. soil. Sure. It, for the 100 miles, it's sure. going to be Border Patrol. Sure, and then past that, it's, it's ICE. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely correct. And so to kind of give you some idea, you know, this last year, uh, or say call it 2019, 2020 numbers, give or take, and I'm going to look at it real quick, about 1,148,000 people entered the country illegally. Uh, of that, right at, ni- right at 1,970,000 came across the southwest border. So that's, that is fundamentally where most of the folks are coming in at. Um, that's about 88% more than came in, in in 2018. So that was a pretty dramatic increase, right? And that was all pre-COVID, and we saw some things that changed there. Uh, so far, in 2022, 2.76 million people entered the country illegally. So that's, that's a pretty incredible set of numbers, right? At this point, so many families were coming in across the border that Border Patrol... of their assets at the border, primarily, again, the southern U.S. border, were diverted from enforcement to actually caring for families and children there at the border. Facilitating them. That is not what they're designed for. They were never, ever designed for that. And so if you have watched this on the news and you've seen some of the videos of this, you'll see 
Uh, for instance, one thing you'll see, you know, the, the chain link fence, some people refer to it as cages. And it's a very emotional issue about, hey, how do we handle families at the border? Again, I'll go back to the problem here with, I think, Border Patrol is that they were never designed to detain families. That was never their intent. And so all of a sudden, you're now detaining, you know, or, or having 2.7 million people coming across the border and you have these families. You know, those, those you'll hear them referred to as cages, for lack of a better way of putting it. What's interesting about that, and this is a great example of government not understanding the message they're putting out, it was actually the Border Patrol, Custom and Border Protection, that invited reporters in to look at that because what they thought they were doing was saying, hey, look, we're taking, we're making sure that we're separating women and children from men, you know, protecting families by keeping them separate. Obviously, that was a poor judgment from a public relations standpoint, right? But originally, they were saying, hey, they were having to turn in really large uh, buildings like a mall or a strip mall or warehouses to deal with this influx. It's, it's not like they had years to prepare for this. This was something, you know, a radical increase in the number of people coming in. So obviously, that was received very poorly. By the way, it was an Obama era and a Trump era policy. You, you'll and I, I don't want to get into the Democrat or Republican because it's not relevant for the purpose of this discussion. But you do need to understand that there were these things were handled similarly under both administrations. Where they got into some changes was a zero enforcement policy under the, the Trump administration or zero uh, uh, tolerance policy under the Trump administration. Right. So whereas before, like what what did it look like before cages? Well, you know, quite frankly, they, they didn't have the volume of children and, and families coming across at the same time. So they tried to, you know, either turn back at the border or issue, uh, um, I'm going to call them travel permits. And it's probably important to understand that now. They just simply did not have that number of, of families coming in that it required, you know, to, turning in warehouses into these things. You know, and they, and again, this is a great example of not understanding the way this image is going to be portrayed. Because they think, hey, look, here's these open air. We're getting ventilation. We're doing all this stuff. And everybody else walks in and goes, hey, that's a cage. You're putting children in cages. Doesn't read well. So, right. and again, just trying to dumb it down. Whereas before when families crossed, they would either turn them back or let them go well, in the country? They, they also, well, they also had things like vouchers for hotel rooms and things of like that. It just did not have the volume of people coming through, families coming through at the same time. So they were doing a little bit of both. But that's an important point. So let's talk about what happens when you come across at the border. Because I think this is a real lack of understanding. Because people will say to us at the sheriff's office you know, pretty routinely, hey, somebody's here illegally. Why aren't you doing something? Why don't you do something? You arrested somebody who's in the country illegally. And maybe they were arrested for another charge for the sake of argument. What people don't understand is there is no predicate or authority for a sheriff's office, a state police, or a municipal police to arrest someone for being in the country illegally. We cannot arrest someone because they're in the country illegally. A lot of people are really surprised by that. And they're, maybe you think I should be able to, but that really doesn't matter. What I deal with is what the facts are, what the law is. The law does not allow me to arrest people for being in the country illegally. Super important to understand that. The second part of that, and I think this is where people are going to be really surprised, is most of the people that have come across the border illegally when stopped by the Border Patrol are issued a basically a travel permit. In other words, if I detain you coming across the border illegally, we say, okay, uh, uh, Ms. Corey, you're here illegally. 
Here, where are you planning on going? Well, I'm planning on going to New York. Um, I plan on going to Miami or Florida or wherever. Okay, here is your permit. You need to check in within 60 days. So understand, all of these people, when we detain them like that, they now have travel permit. To, they're released into the United States. They are not turned back across the border, by and large. And I, I think deal, that this right? is hard for people right. to understand and, quite frankly, like or dislike. But as soon as, as, soon as they step on U.S. soil, they have the same rights. Certain rights. Certainly, not. if you look at like the, the, the Fourth Amendment, for instance, uh, it, it doesn't say citizens, it says persons, mm-hmm. right? And so it's an important to understand these things about due process. But, you know, one of the things that's come across in the news a lot, uh, you know, are people being bused to different states or flown mm-hmm. to different states. And I think a lot of people are confused by that and go, well, well, you know, why don't they send them back to the border? Because all of those people have a sheet of paper from Border Patrol that says we acknowledge you're in this country and you'll have a hearing at some later date or you need to check in at some later date, but they are being released into the interior of the country. That is super important to understand because, you know, again, citizens call us all the time and say, wait a minute, they're, they're, they're here illegally, do something about it. Not only do we not lack the legal authority, they're actually being granted at least temporary status until this process, this due process is worked through. So if there was 970,000 people detained at the, you know, give or take, detained at the U.S. border last year. That's a, you know, you can call that almost a million people that received a standing, a temporary standing to continue in the country until, well, at this point, nothing's really happening past that, right? I mean, that that's the, that's the reality of it. So these folks are being released in the country into different states. Now, if you're in the state like Florida, there was about a week, couple week period of time where Border Patrol, they would interview these people and say, where are you going? 75% of the people interviewed listed the state of Florida as their final destination. Mm-hmm. 75% of the people. Pretty incredible, really. Um, New, York's, New York City, Miami, and Jacksonville were the top three last year. So there is a direct relevance to, to people in the state of Florida, right? And we will get, you know, I've seen people send us pictures of busloads of people being bused from the border getting out and going, hey, why aren't you doing something about this? You know, we, even locally here in a county like Walton County, um, there was a couple of charter buses stopped where, where folks were getting out, and they said, well, they're here illegally. You need to do something. And we said, well, no, they're, they're technically are holding a piece of paper from the United States government that allowed them to travel inside the United States. Think of it like a travel permit. So local law enforcement cannot do anything about that, nor can state law enforcement. So going back to mm-hmm. what you said, you said that we cannot arrest them just because they're here illegally. Right. You cannot arrest them because That's they're correct. illegally. Correct. So let's so let's talk about that process. So Allie brings up a good point. So where does local law enforcement come into contact? Let's just say that you are in the country illegally, and you commit a crime, um, you know, burglary, theft, whatever that is. The sheriff's office or the police department in your jurisdiction will make an arrest. You'll get transported to the county jail. At the county jail, we will say, okay, Allie, you're in this country here illegally. Um, We will notify Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Because remember, Border Patrol is only the first 100 miles. Border Patrol issued them the permit. They're in the country now. They are basically being policed 
by Immigration and Custom Enforcement, that's the point. So Immigration and Custom Enforcement will receive a notice from us saying, this is the Walton County Sheriff's Office. We've arrested, you know, Allie, she's here illegally from wherever. Um, what do you want us to do? They these are the do, crimes that she's committed. These are the crimes that she's committed. We confirm. Can you confirm what you want to do? So we notify Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And, we and do Sheriff, that through what, a pro- what, what does that look like? So so for me, like just a general member of the public, is does that look like an email that's being sent to one field office yeah. and you've got one agent controlling 10 counties and they get an influx yeah. of these so, emails so, every day? So listen, the short answer is it depends, right? Um, as far as the volume they're getting, that that really depends. I, I, I will tell you this. Um, in Florida, all the county jails in Florida, 67 county jails, are part of a agreement with Immigration and Custom Enforcement whereby we notify them. When we all 67? All are? 67 in Florida. Required by in, law. Are, are required by law that we notify. That's not the same in every state, though, so I want to be clear. There are states that don't this do that. This is Florida, yeah. Yeah, but in Florida, we notify Immigration and Customs Enforcement. We say, we have Allie here. She's arrested for theft, and she is in the country. We believe she's in the country illegally, or we know she's in the country illegally. What would you? What do you want to do? They're going to do two things at that point. They're going to say, we're not coming to get her, or they're going to issue a detainer that says, please hold. We will come get her within 48 hours of before her release. And that's the requirement. 48 hours is the requirement. We'll talk about why that is in just a second. So we'll notify them. And they say they need to tell us something back. We do that under a, uh, what is called a, uh, an agreement that you'll hear. You'll hear a couple of terms, not, not that people need to remember this, just so you understand. It's called a 287G program or a warrant service officer program whereby we assist the federal government in immigration. That's the only thing local law enforcement can do. Which is the notification. Which is the notification. That an illegal immigrant Correct. has been yeah. arrested. Right. Right, charged exactly. with a crime. Charged with a crime. So we'll notify them and say, hey, do you want to come get this person? Yes or no. Bottom line, we will detain them for 48 hours. Okay, but that that looks differently, say, if somebody is issued a criminal citation, goes to court, and is remanded in court, and gets sentenced. Right. So let's just say that happens. They get sentenced 30 days. We notify ICE. That's correct. And they have we have to hold them because they're sentenced they're for a 30-day sentence. Day sentence. Mm-hmm. But then ICE, does ICE have 48 hours from the time they get booked? From, that's correct. No, from the time before the end of the sentence, before they release. Oh. So from the state. So okay. but let me tell you what that looks like because I actually pulled our numbers here. 90, I think it was, Ali, I think you looked this as well with me too. 90% of the people when we notified ICE are, that, that, that we've arrested for a crime did not come get them. They did not file. 90%. Them. 90 percent they so, were released so back in the community can i and, and I'm, I'm just gonna ask no, this important. so do we 90 percent of those people they tell us like hey we're not coming to get them or we get no response 90 percent they tell us we're not coming 90 percent we're not coming so we are getting a response we're getting a response just we're and the response can be I, i'm using terms here we have more important cases to go get um we're too busy we don't have the manpower Whatever that is. It can be any of those three reasons. They don't have to tell us anything. They just say simply, we're not filing a detainer. 
What's the what's the the trend? Is it tor- towards more uh, egregious crimes where they where they yeah? I mean, I think so. You know, a, a lot of it has to depend on what their status was. Have they been deported before? Mm-hmm. Is there other warrants? Have judges? You know, so if they've been deported before, that's that ratchets ratchets it up. It it, it increases their likelihood they're going to come get them. Um, but but yeah, I mean, ninety percent of them are just released back to the public. I mean, released back into the communities, and then they go through the normal criminal process, the procedure, whatever the crime is. That includes, you know, every every month I get a list, and every sheriff in the state of Florida gets a list of people being released from uh, state prison that are, you know, here in the country illegally. They, ICE may or may not come get those people. So, and, that, and that's their decision to make. As far as their protocols, how they decide it, I'm just telling you anecdotally, it seems to be based on what the, the circumstances of them are. To me, if you're in a state prison, you should be released, you know, obviously that, that should be automatic, but it's not the case, right? So you should, they, you should be deported, deported immediately. But that, you know, ICE has a matrix to decide when and how, what meets that criteria. And why is that matrix in place? Yeah, I think it's a resource-driven issue, right? They, you know, if you have 13 million people here illegally, they're not, they simply do not possess the manpower to, do, to deport or process 13 million people. So they got to make decisions. I will say something that a lot of people don't, don't know, and you can fact-check me on this, but I think they've determined about 75% of the people in the country, in the United States, illegally are paying their income taxes, which, which is interesting. Now, I don't know how they determine that number, but it, I would suggest to you it's probably because uh, they know the number of people that are filing income tax returns. But yeah, it was about 75%, which was way more than I would have thought. Yeah, I think the other, the other question that people have, right, mm-hmm. is how are we guaranteeing any sort of follow-through? Let's just say a person in the country illegally gets in a right. crash involving bodily injury. Mm-hmm. They get cited for that crash. Mm-hmm. We can't guarantee they show up in court. So how is that, how is the judicial process handling those cases that really never go before a judge? Well, let's, let's, let's pause for just a second for, and, and talk about what ICE is doing from a standpoint of that, because I'm, I'm gonna double check these numbers real quick. But for the sake of argument, what, they are, what ICE is, um, they are deporting about, they made 143,000 arrests in 2022. They, when you say they? Ice. Immigration, no, Immigration and Custom Enforcement. Okay, so about, after they've made it into the country. Mm-hmm, they arrested about 143,000. And when you say they arrest, do, is that... They took into custody, which is an arrest is to take into custody. After this individual had already been charged. May or may not. ICE can arrest them for other reasons, their, their border, okay, their, their so, status. But I, So ICE put a set of handcuffs on 143,000 people. Okay. They deported... 72,000, roughly 72,000 people in, in 2022. So I'm going to use that number for just a second. Total. Here. You're total. talking total. You're total not just talking numbers, about the state of Florida. Numbers. I can be up or down 1,000. This is just you know the basic information from their, their site. Let's use that number for a second. Let's assume it's accurate. 72,000. 72,000, 13 million. You, you can't make that math work. So when people are calling saying, hey, are they not doing this or that, um, I, you know, I think there's maybe ten or twelve thousand ICE agents in the in the country. I, I mean, I'm I don't know that for sure, but about that about that number, actual ICE agents. 
to theoretically investigate and or start the deportation process on 13 million people. Total in the country total, here total. illegally. Many have been here 20, 20 plus years, you know, and may have never been arrested, right? So mm-hmm. just so you understand gross numbers for a second, a lot, a lot of people in this country uh, illegally. And by the way, about 40 some odd million people in the United States of America were born in another country. So you have a lot, and that doesn't mean illegally, I just mean in total, if there's 40 plus million people that were born in another country. And so if the you know the population's a little less than 400 million in this country, that'll give you some idea what we're talking about. So what are some of the issues that you see people are facing locally when it comes to illegal immigration and how it impacts their life? So let me give you both let me give you both sides of it for a second because one of the interesting things we've seen here, we're we're the Walton County, Florida, which is, you know, in the panhandle of Florida, is the sixth fastest growing county, there's 4,000 plus counties, we're the sixth fastest growing county in the United States of America, um, economically booming. And you have a lot of crews here, a lot of people working in the service industry and construction industry that are here illegally. One of the things that I've also seen happen from there, you know, there's another side to illegal immigration that people rarely talk about, which is the victimization of people who are here illegally because they don't have standing or says they cannot get a driver's license. They cannot have a governmental ID. So anytime they're driving, they cannot even get health, in, I mean, uh, car insurance. So think about that for a second. So, you know, a large majority of these folks are paying federal income tax, but they can't get driver's license or an insurance because they're here illegally. I'm not proffering whether they should or shouldn't. I'm just telling you the fact, which means they cannot get insurance on their cars because they're driving illegally. Additionally, you know, one of the things that I came across is, and I was talking to a guy who is here illegally representing the, the, the local community, and he said, look, you know, Sheriff, we, we kind of things that happen is we frame this house. We agreed to it with a, with a contractor, and we framed this house, and we did it. I went to go get my payment, and he says, yeah, I'm not going to pay you. So what do you mean I'm not going to pay you? He goes, well, you're in the country illegally. I'm not going to pay you. What are you going to do? I'll call ICE if you, uh, I'll call ICE on you. And he's like, and I said, why didn't you come to us and report that? And I said, well, you know, because that's a crime. That's a fraud, right? Nothing about that changes that they are still entitled to uh, protections under the law here. It's it's still a crime. And the guy said to him, can you guarantee me they won't call, ICE won't deport me? I said, I can't guarantee that because I'm not the one that does that, right? So uh, we have a lot of people in these communities that are victimized, uh, things like sexual batteries, frauds, things of that nature. And they're not coming to the police because, hey, I may get deported. Or and they're afraid. They're, they're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid they're, of being deported. That is used so they, as a way yeah, to intimidate. It's used as a way to intimidate. And so, you know, we have a lot of contractors, a lot of builders who they have no recourse if they're, if something's happening, right? If there are. They do, but if it goes unreported, they do not. They do not. That's right. That's right. So, let, let, so let's talk about immigration for just a second. What, it, what is, I mean, you know, there's, because there's basically four categories of immigration. And I think it's important to understand this because a lot of people don't necessarily know. A, you're a citizen, right? You're a U.S. citizen. You're a naturalized U.S. citizen. You went through the process and you become naturalized. We actually have a firefighter. We have a, we have a firefighter. And we, have several, we have several, actually, uh, deputies that are naturalized U.S. citizens. So they go through the process of doing that. Two, you are a resident alien. So you will hear that, you know, uh, resident. That's, that's where you hear the term uh, green card, things of that nature. You hear, what is a green card? Well, basically what that means is that you are 
We know you're here. You're working for a period of time. You're in the process. You have to be in that process for a, for a number of years before you can become a naturalized citizen, right? Not everybody that has a green card wants to become a U.S. citizen. But if you want to, it takes a process about three, about two years. I'm looking at this. It's about a conditional permanent resident year, you know, about two years, about two years to move to the uh, long-term permanent resident and then working toward being a naturalized citizen. So it's, so it's the process that most people come become naturalized citizens. The third is you're a non-immigrant. What's a non-immigrant? That means I'm here, a student working, going to our school. I'm here for six months working, service, and I'm issued a visa. You'll hear that term, a visa. Most Americans don't see that, but it's in their passport. Mm-hmm. The back of your passport, you have a visa stamp or a visa place. And, and, and in our area, a lot of lo- large resorts, yeah, um, sure. they, will, they will have Absolutely. a lot of employees Absolutely. who have visas and are here to work. Yeah, and so those are non-immigrants, people that are here on temporary student, temporary work, things of that nature. There's several different types of visas. There's also a refugee, right? A refugee is asylum. You request asylum based on your conditions. So those are the the first three. Those are the three that are here legally and have legal standing. Mm -hmm. The last one's the one we were talking about, which is you are undocumented. You have entered the country illegally. and again, terms, I guess, matter. You know, some people say, well, that's a, if you say illegal alien, that's a bad term, undocumented worker. Undocumented. We're playing with semantics. So just for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to say illegal immigration here, illegal alien from the state of point. In other words, you have entered the country illegal. You're not eligible for driver's license. You're not eligible for any governmental services, right? You should not be eligible for any governmental services. And and just to clarify, because again, words, words, people no, words cling matter. on to yeah, words. words you can be an illegal alien, right. an illegal immigrant, mm-hmm. and still have gotten that piece of paper from Border Patrol right. that says we acknowledge that you're here. And that you traveled to X Correct. place and you were supposed to check in Correct. for processing. And then and it can also mean that nobody saw them come across sure. and they engaged with yeah. no one. And to be sure, to be clear, that, that travel permit issued by the Border Patrol, they stopped your order, is not a permanent get out of jail permit you're staying here they're supposed to check in at the border you know with the facilities where they're going and start that process there's no mechanism if they don't that's that's the issue right because again 13 million people versus 72,000 people deported right mm-hmm. so you got those folks and there is a last status which is a little more rare it was in the news a lot a couple of years ago something called DACA and DACA stands for deferred action on childhood arrivals so what is a DACA kid the, the best way I can, in other words, your parents have brought you here when you were a child. Um, I teach uh, sometimes for Florida State University. I had a student about two years ago, and I think this is really kind of a textbook DACA issue, which is this student what, came to me after a class, and he said, Sheriff, I want to talk to you. Uh, I'm a DACA kid, and, and I was not familiar with what DACA meant. I'd heard it on the news like many people, you know, but I didn't know the ins and outs of it. And he said, look, he said, my when I was about 17, I, uh, I I was getting ready to graduate high school. I was going to apply for colleges. I'm going, you know. He said, my family own, owns a, a business in Tampa. And they, uh, I think it's like a carpet laying business, something like that. And he said, you know, our parent, my parents sit down and said, we need to tell you something. He's like, you know, what? But you're not a U.S. citizen. Had no idea that he was not a U.S. citizen. Did he have a license? He did. He got a license because DACA... The program DACA, which they had registered him, allows 
DACA recipients only to get U.S. license to get driver's license. They're allowed to get driver's license and they're allowed to work. So what is being? But they're not allowed to just be. Go ahead. What does it being a DACA kid mean? DACA kid means you were brought. In other words, you had no say or decision in being brought here. You were brought here as a. But they were not born here. They were not born here. If you're born here, you're a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. And the parents have to register their child. That you have to register to get DACA to become part of the DACA program, yes. And so, so that, his parents came. He was an infant, more was, than likely. Yeah, yeah very young. Um, they came, came here, here illegally, illegally, but they registered him. They registered him at some point when DACA. They registered him as a, a DACA child. So he has a driver's license. The problem is he's in a kind of a permanent limbo status. And at the time, and I don't know how this worked out, but essentially what he was told is to start. And I'm going to tell you, I see both sides of this. To start the process that he needed to go back to Mexico to do that. Well, obviously, he never lived in Mexico, so he's not going he to do that. He doesn't have family there. Yeah, but if he goes to Mexico, he gives up his DACA status. But here, he's in the back of the line. Because keep in mind, there are millions of people that... Are outside the country who are trying who to Who are get trying in. to get in. Right. And I think, you know, you know, one of the things, if you, you can be, regardless of how you feel about immigration, here's a great example. The United States of America takes in more immigrants legally than the rest of the world combined. So, you know, it's about equal, but the U.S. is doing as much as the rest of the world. So when you say, well, we don't, we don't allow people in this country, we're, we're taking way more. There's nobody even close. Germany's the second closest, and they're not close at all. So, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big deal. Um, you know, one of the other, I didn't mention this other component a little while ago, which is the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Um, they basically are the court that adjudicates a lot of these things, uh, you know, whether or not your, what your status is. So that court itself, um, that's the third component of. Yeah, you did mention control. it. Yeah, you I, did, did mention I didn't call it. the name, but there is a, they're basically the kind of the court system that works on some of this along mm-hmm. with the immigration courts themselves. That's that's kind of what we're that's kind of what you're dealing with. But the, but the dot, so that's your four status, right? And I'm going to go out four and a half because this DACA is the other. I'm going to go out on a limb and probably say that 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 judicial arm is also probably overworked, not a lot of resources, and you're talking about a, a small a small agency in compared to the issue that we're dealing with. Yeah, and compared to how many people want to legally become U- U.S. citizens, you're probably talking about a pretty small organization. Yeah. So there was actually just a ruling out of federal court out of Pensacola, Florida, which is actually really close to where we're at. Um, and it it said that where Border Patrol is supposed to process people at the border, because originally they were they were saying, okay, go to the next, go to the closest station where you're going, Right. So now Border Patrol is currently under this federal ruling has to start that processing at the border, not just send them somewhere else to start the processing. Again, the vast, vast, vast majority of the people, even after they're initially processed, don't they, they don't follow through, you know, obviously, because you've got millions of people here uh, illegally. So, by the way, we, we are there are other types of illegal immigration. What is that? That is when we talked about the green cards or the visas, people that overstay. In other words, they it's let a them expire. They let, they let it expire. They stay in the country illegally. You know, some uh, they stay past their time. That's another form of illegal immigration. So mm-hmm. it's not nearly as much, but I want to kind of give you that idea. When you look at the numbers, let's talk about round numbers for just a second. I was talking to some folks with ICE, and they were explaining to me 
that for a while they had a relationship with ICE, had a relationship with New York City Corrections, right? And they had four agents, four ICE agents at Rikers Island to help with the processing of these folks. Mm -hmm. New York City, they kicked the, they kicked the uh, ICE agents out. They're no longer on Rikers Island. So if you know anything about Rikers Island, it's one of the largest correctional facilities in the world. Um, there were 16,000 detainers at Rikers Island alone in one year that were being processed by four ICE agents who are now no longer there. It's pretty incredible. Those numbers are overwhelming, and now they're not there. So, you know, because what's happening is that's becoming a political argument. You know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, so I'm coming down whatever this whatever the thing is, but the, but the reality of it is if you're not processing, if you're not working with ICE, what if that person's a sex offender? What if that person's a murderer? What if that has you know, a serious, violent background? You're not even looking at those detainers and releasing them. That is a big, big, big deal in my opinion. I think it's an abdication of leadership on the government's part. That's not a Democrat or Republican. That is just basic justice at the end of the day. So, so when you say they're not there anymore. I mean, is, they're not there. Is, is Rikers still notifying ICE? To my knowledge, no, because they had those agents there. Now, maybe they are. I can't speak to that definitively, and I don't want to speak to that definitively because I just don't know. I know that there are no longer ICE agents to help, they help process and facilitate that. And when you say there were 16,000 detainers issued, that, right, that, that lawfully ICE was processing and they were deporting those people? Yes, there were those people who would have been deported. So think about it. Think about what I told you a minute ago about my small jail comparatively to the Rikers Island. If 90% of the people I deal with are not getting detainers, extrapolate that to New York City. How okay, many so people, how many people do we house? Let's talk local. Yeah, so let's let's just say we, we hold, say, for instance, close to 600 inmates on any given day. Um, so think about somewhere like a facility like Rikers Island. If they are getting detainers for 16,000 people, let's just say they, they have less. Let's, but let's just say 70% of their people are not getting detained. They're here illegally. That just tells you the scope of the amount of people here. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, it's just a lot, a lot of people that are coming in contact with the criminal justice system. And I, I know we started talking about the victimization mm -hmm. of um, illegal immigrants. Right. When I asked about what local issues we're facing, but what what is what are what are local issues faced with the residents who are citizens who live in our community? What are they seeing as far as illegal immigration? Well, so I think I think there's I think there's two things, right? There's a cycle of cost involved in this. So let's just use a, a basic traffic uh, parking lot traffic crash, for instance. You run into my car, and you don't have a driver's license. You don't have insurance. Who pays for that? You and I do. Uh, the citizen pays for it. Now, let's just say... Deputy because in Florida, generally speaking, in Florida, we're yeah. a no-fault state anyway. That's correct. But you have to have insurance. So what happens is now my insurance picks it up. So my rate, I have that to deal with. Deputy arrests you for, you know, uh, driving license suspended, revoke, not having insurance. I take you to jail. Cost. Cost me doing it, cost me taking you to jail, toss me booking jail. I'm going to notify ICE, but if you don't have anything else, they're probably not coming to get you for a driver's license. So I'm going to, so that individual's released. But or guess what it, happens? They're issued a bond. They're issued a bond and they're released. Mm -hmm. Now, guess what happens? They said, hey, you need to show up for court. Guess what doesn't happen? 
They don't show up for court. So now a warrant is issued for them under the name they've given us because we have a hard time to keep in mind because we don't get their fingerprints from the border. We don't know who these people are. They do not have a legal ID. So we issue a warrant is issued under the name they gave us. We will associate their fingerprints because we fingerprint them. We will associate with whatever name they gave us. If if they are not previously in our system. That's correct. They are entered by us with by their us fingerprints. Under the name they gave us or the best name we can verify and their fingerprints. We will associate that name with those fingerprints. That's scary. And then we release scary them. For we don't know people. anything about their past or whatsoever. We release them. Unless they've been arrested in the States and we have their fingerprints, we know nothing else about them. And so I th- do you think that that, do you think that that, is troublesome. It's extremely troublesome. It's fundamentally troublesome. But it's also expensive because now I'm going to release them, right? Now, ICE may or may not, they're probably not going to issue a detainer, and they may not have been processed by ICE at all to start with. But I'm going to release them back into Walton County community. They're not going to show up for court. That means I have to issue a warrant under this name. So the next time there's a deputy sheriff, a trooper, a police officer, whatever situation, comes in contact with this person, that person knows they have a warrant for their arrest. Deputy trooper, police officer does not know that. So now there's a risk because he knows he's going to get arrested for that warrant now. But let's just say I arrest him without problem. What do I have now? Another cycle of calls. I arrest him. I take him back to the county jail. You know, we did this a few weeks ago to kind of give you an example of what this can actually cost. I mean, forget the court system and, the, and our time and the danger. We arrested a folks where or the highway patrol, actually, the Florida Highway Patrol, uh, there was a traffic accident. We found that the person, the passenger in the car was here illegally and had a misdemeanor, which means in a, a smaller level warrant for their arrest out of another county. We went to transfer them to the hospital. However, we got, I mean, transfer them to the jail. However, illegally or not, when you, when we take you into custody, when the sheriff's office takes you into custody in any jurisdiction, I am responsible for your health, safety, and well-being. Mm-hmm. We looked at this individual and said, something is wrong with their leg. Badly wrong. We have to take them to the hospital. That leg is close to amputation. So that individual is now placed in the ICU unit where they stayed for about 10 days. We're accruing that cost. We're accruing the cost. The citizens of Walton County, Florida, pay that cost. Hundreds of thousands of dollars for ICU treatment, uh, potential amputation. And for, for, for the whole nine yards. And by the way, a guard, uh, somebody to guard somebody them. Somebody has to. Somebody yeah. has to guard them. Because they're, they're in they're our custody. Your, they're in our custody. We, I don't have the option of not paying the bill because they're in my custody. So, yeah, there's a huge cost. There's a huge cost involved in that. Alex? Sometimes, too, our citizens get really frustrated because, again, like that, that cycle that you just explained, yeah. it's just a continuous cycle. And a lot of times we get phone calls all the time sure. even Yeah. You know, that's such a, a big deal, but it's, yeah. you know, there's only so much right. that we're able to do, and, we, and we do what we can do, which is what you just explained. But yeah, let's, and let's talk about that. What can we do? Well, let's pause lawfully. for a second. Keep, let's keep talking about this cost for just a second. So, you, you know, we just recently had a death here um, a few months ago where an individual wrecked on a, a, a main bridge, a thoroughfare, and killed someone. That individual had been deported from the United States before. They were back in the country illegally. There was a warrant for their arrest. So, you know, there's a cost, somebody's life. And so the truth of the matter is, had they not been allowed to enter this country, that individual would still be alive. That's not a political statement. It is a factual statement. And I always say, you remember, there's two types of truth, right? There's objective truth and subjective truth. 
right? Subjective is is biased. In other words, I may have an opinion. I think you should be in here. I think it's okay. That's subjective. That's your opinion. It can be influenced. Objective is the facts, two plus two. And objectively true is the fact that this individual was turned away at the border. He doesn't kill somebody in that traffic crash. Now, you you can like that or not like that. That is simply the facts. And we can discuss as a country what our policy should be, what the border policy should be. Should we have more people, allow more people in, whatever. But those are the facts. So cycle back to the question you were, you were fixing to ask, Corey. I, would, I, I was just asking if, um, you know, going off of what Allie just said, people get frustrated at that process. You yeah. know, when somebody is, doesn't have a license, they don't have insurance. And it, for deputies, you know, I can, I can certainly um, empathize because it looks like a revolving door. Um, we arrest them for not having a valid DL. They may or may not show up for court. And they're back living next door to their neighbor whose truck they hit on their way to work. Um, so that's very frustrating for, for a population who does it the right way, right. doesn't want to see rate, sure. rate increase, sure. rate increases, um, and wants to feel like something is being done, um, because they're being victimized. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back to this 287 G program, which was a, came back in 1986 that allowed us to participate, uh, to assist ICE and custom enforcement, immigration custom enforcement in detaining people. But here's what's an important thing to understand. A detainer is not a warrant. Not a warrant. And I'm, I know, unfortunately, in this situation, terms matter. A detainer is, in, is an, issued by an immigration official. And it says, you know, hold this person up to 48 hours until, you can, until we can come get them. It's not the same thing as a warrant. A warrant issued by an immigration judge, we're going to hold you on that warrant till hell freezes over or the judge says let you go, Right. But the vast majority of these are not warrants. They are detainers. And there's a risk to local agencies if they get stuck with a detainer. Let me give you an example. There was a case out of Oklahoma a couple years ago where ICE issued a detainer. And the the agency held the person. ICE did not get there within 48 hours. the, the, The agency in Oklahoma held them until ICE got there. They were ultimately sued and had to pay, the local agency had to pay in excess of a million dollars for illegal detention because all the agency was trying to do was trying to comply with immigration and customs enforcement. Because the, the federal law right. is 48 hours. That's correct. But the, fed, but the federal, the, the inmate that was here illegally said, you had no right to hold me because that's not a warrant. You shouldn't have held me past that 48 hours. Until that time, I think most agencies in the country did not know that was not a warrant. We assumed it carried the full force of law. At least, you know, most agencies would assume that. To the idea that a jail could or a sheriff's office could be sued by somebody in the country illegally for detaining them at the request of immigration and custom enforcement was stunning to people. People were floored that that happens. And, you know, that agency had to defend themselves, the... the uh, Department of Justice or Department of Homeland Security did not assist in funding that case. So that came out of local taxpayers' dollars. There's cases like that here in, in, in Florida where somebody was misidentified, right? And they had these detainer issues, but the local jurisdiction is bearing the weight of that uh, litigation. So go back to your point. How does somebody in the country illegally sue you for attempting to assist somebody carrying out their legal 
duties. I mean, it's it's a it's a quagmire, and people hear that and they get mad. They get mad at the local agencies. They get mad. You know, if you're if you don't believe in any type of immigration reform, you think, well, that's good. You shouldn't be involved in any of this anyway. If you believe that there shouldn't be shouldn't be open borders and we've got to have some balance, this now you're mad that we're not doing enough. But the truth is, this is the status of the law and where we're at now. This is what we can do. That's it. No more, no less. We can report it and detain up to 48 hours. And that's the summation of what local law enforcement really can do. So when let's, you see well, these things... It, well, let's break it Let's break it down a little bit okay. to where... trying. I want to give people confidence that... And, and it, it may be hard to do in this situation. Right. So we arrest somebody. It's the first time that we've, they've ever been fingerprinted in the country. Right. Are law enforcement agencies... Um, talking enough between each other, let's just say in the state of Florida, that if that person is fingerprinted at our jail and they get picked up for another crime in Tampa, yeah. are, are law enforcement agencies able to quickly say, okay, this fingerprint matches this name. Yeah. Let's just say they gave a false name when they got arrested for the second time. Are we advanced enough to where that is getting, that's getting sorted out? Or are those people falling through the cracks? No, those people are not falling through the cracks because once once we put their hand on that on that machine and we have their fingerprints, let's just say they say their name is uh, John Doe. Well, we know it's not really John Doe. We we believe they're being untruthful, but for the purpose of our system, those fingerprints are associated with this name, John Doe. Let's say they get arrested in Jacksonville and the name they give is uh, uh, you know Jim Smith. I'm Jim Smith. Well, Jim Smith's fingerprints comes back John Doe. Now they're going to say this is John Doe, whatever they were wanted for, whatever they did. But they're also going to add another name, Jim Smith. And so it is. You'll it's have not, multiple aliases. Yeah, sure. You have multiple aliases. So you hear that term, AKA, also known as. Mm-hmm. You give a name, you give a false name, we will forever associate it with you as well so that we can find you. But the trick is to have those fingerprints. If we have those fingerprints, then we know who you are. You know, that's one of the things. If we could at least touch everybody coming across the border, ID them, mm-hmm. we are all better off for that. We're, there, there's mm-hmm. nobody in this country that's not better off for that. The, the, the problem is the, the political polarization is so extreme, mm-hmm. we can't even get to that point to identify people. And then, you know, that's where we need to be. I mean, I think, you know, in fairness to the Border Patrol, you, you're asking them to turn back literally over a million people a year with not nearly enough resources. So they're the, and, and again, go back to what I said, 60% of their resources are now trying to care, feed, and house for families. Man, that's, that's a, that's and let's, a lot. I mean, to let's in. look at the, a different issue, which is a, a statement you make yeah. very, very often, which is you can't, you know, don't make promises when you can't take it by force. Yeah, absolutely. And you cannot yeah. physically enforce turning away a million people. You don't have, yeah. we don't have the resources. For so it. listen, you know, a lot of people are surprised to know this, but you know, uh, Ronald Reagan back in the back in the 80s, granted an amnesty to people here, uh, I think prior to 1981. Somebody can fact check that. But but essentially, he granted an amnesty, the father of modern conservatism. That's That was surprising to a lot of people, right? And Do you think that was a fiscal decision? I, you know, I think it was a couple of things going on. First of all, they could have never they could have never identified the, uh, the flow that's coming across now. It's, that's a staggering amount. And if you look at our, our fentanyl crisis, methamphetamine, things coming across the border, I don't think there's a sovereign nation in the world 
that doesn't have borders. You have to have borders. You have to have some reasonable system checks and balance. And the other, the, you know, one of the problems with direct amnesty, I think, now, is that you're giving status to all the people who came here illegally, but you're moving them ahead of the million people who are trying to do it right every year. So there's not a perfect answer. I, I, I think anybody tells you there's just perfect answer is, is wrong, and they're... You're going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to be a border policy that makes sense. They're going to have to make a decision. They're not, just pragmatically, you're not going to deport 13 million people. It's just not going to happen. You know, especially when the you know, so vast majority, such a large majority, is, are even paying taxes. So if you're not going to deport them, and you know that before you start, what things can you do to mitigate the impact on the American citizen? And if, and if you're, and whatever that is, is that issuing an ID and saying you have, an undocumented status, you must pay your taxes. But by the way, we want you to also uh, get driver's license so that we can identify your. Does that make sense? I don't know. But if you're an absolutist and you say, well, no, this never works for me, we're going to deport 13 million people. Understand that all 13 million of those people are entitled to a court appearance. You confuse what you like with what's possible. We could argue what's about reasonable. how we got in the situation. Yeah, it's what's reasonable. We can argue about how you got in this situation all day long. But you are not going to have court hearings for 13 million people. You are not. So the question becomes, what are what can you do? And you know, to me, I don't I don't think for a second I have the answer to immigration because I don't think there is the answer. There's a lot of different things we can do. You know, uh, Rousseau had that wonderful statement said, "Don't don't let perfect become the enemy of better." Right. I think what you're going to have to do is first deal with those people. First of all, you got to secure your border. Whether you like that or not, there has to be a secure border. I, you know, is that a wall? Is that a fence? All those things, whatever. Pick your poison, but you've got to have a secure border. That, that you're a sovereign nation. You have to, second, you need to identify everybody coming across, right? Then third, you need to deport those people who have committed criminal acts while they're here, right? Because I remind you again, you can't go put a set of handcuffs on somebody for just being in the country illegally. You may want to, but you can't. So if you started with those things, secure your border, identify those people coming across, and deport the people that are criminals have committed a criminal act other than coming across the border immediately. That in and of itself would be a Herculean task, but it would pay some dramatic, dramatic, dramatic dividends. Because I think we all hear across the country these cases where people here illegally commit some other crime. Like I mentioned, they're killing someone in a traffic crash. Those people we've got to deal with first before we make blanket policies on anything else. So just doing that would improve the situation. Do I think that's going to happen? No, because I don't have the guts. To, nobody has the guts to say it, right? They're not going to do it. It's too easy for me to stand up and bang my chest and say, nobody should be here and we're going to ride the ship. Anybody tells you I'm going to deport 13 million people is lying to you. They're lying to you. That's not a, that, they can't say, well, the Democrats won't let that happen. They're not. It's not going to happen. It's unattainable. It's unattainable. The second part of it is, if you believe, no, there should be, everybody should be able to come and go when they want. We should allow them to have everything they want. That's a crock too, right? That's not, that doesn't work either. So, I mean, reasonable people also, have to sit down uh, yeah, in the room. incredibly unreasonable. Yeah. yeah, reasonable people have to sit down in the room. And if you can start with the basics, secure the border, do everything you can to ensure the identification of everybody coming across that border, turning people back at the border. That was not a bad policy. Turning people back at the border makes good sense. Mm -hmm. Because if you create a policy where all you have to do is get across here, you get a permit and you get you get to leave, that you're encouraging that, right? So you have yeah. that issue. And then third, the number one priority should be if you've committed a crime, 
certainly a felony. If you just want to go with felony, if you've committed a crime of violence or felony, you should be on the short. There should be a hundred percent deportation of those folks. Yeah, you got to spend some money to do it, and so that's. You know, I've, I guess in probably 30 minutes, we have 20 or 30 minutes, we just solved the immigration Call crisis. Call it 55 minutes. Uh, 55. Call it 55 minutes. We just solved it. So here's my caveat to the discussion of immigration. I was probably wrong multiple times. Um, I've surely got some of the facts and figures wrong. Might have used the wrong initials on something. The context of what we said is factually accurate. It is just factually accurate. And it, it encapsulates what the situation is. You know, I've got a, uh, I have a, a great friend of mine who's, who's a, a high-ranking member in ICE, and, and he tells me about the dedication those folks are trying to do and trying to solve the problems and navigate between whatever administration's in place. But you've got a lot of hardworking men and women in, in, in the Border Patrol and ICE and Customs Enforcement that are trying their best to navigate this thing and do their job and being asked, all of a sudden to care for women and children at the border while people are beating them up and saying, why are you doing this, making a political argument. But don't forget those men and women are doing this job every day, because they're, and they're doing it well. You have law enforcement professionals across the country who are doing their best to navigate basic human decency and dignity when dealing with people in the country illegally and complying with the law. That's the best I think we can do, and that's what we should hope for, is reasonable, rational policy, uh, free from... from uh, ridiculous assumptions and unattainable, unreasonable goals. Do what you can do to make it a little bit better one bite at a time and quit waiting for the perfect solution because it's not there. And as the sheriff of, of Walton County, um, what is your message to your population here? That we're going to be professional. We're going to treat people with courtesy and dignity. We're going to do our job. We are going to cooperate and work with immigration and custom enforcement because that is my sworn responsibility. Whether I like or dislike it is, quite frankly, not relevant. So for our folks, it's important to understand we're going to do our job, and we're going to do it to the, in a professional, reasonable manner that, that makes sense. And, and, again, not trying to beat a dead horse, but we are, we are limited um, in that sure. some of that we are not federally um, allowed to do. There's no We're law not. that allows us to place handcuffs on somebody for being here illegally. Bottom line. Period. Yeah. End of story. Like it, don't like it, that's where we're at. But we will, we are a 287G organization. We will continue, which means we cooperate and we're going to continue to do that. And then the day, that's what people need to be assured of is we're going to do a job and we're going to do it professionally. But if your issue is you just don't like anything I said, well, I, I don't like a lot of what I just had to say. But what I did was try to tell you the truth. So with that, we hope that this at least gives you some overview, something you can look at with immigration, maybe a little better understanding. Fact check me. Go back and look. I've got some of it wrong, I'm sure. But we wanted to give you in a way that we thought made sense. So with that, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Art of Policing.